As you know, we've been um, in Ephesians since September. The last couple Sundays, we've been talking about marriage, the marriage relationship, and a wife's and husband's roles and responsibilities within marriage. And now we're going into chapter 6, the final chapter of our sermon series on Ephesians. And today, our focus is going to be on the family relationship, especially the relationship between children and parents. Now, before we get into the text this morning, I think it's important to understand that when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesians and he inserted in here his teaching or his focus to children and parents, he did so assuming that there were going to be children and parents present listening to the reading of his letter. So it's good to look out this morning and see parents and children in our services. And that's been one of the blessings of this season is to have the children and youth present to see them serving on Sundays. So as I speak today, I'm speaking to the children and I'm also speaking to the parents and the rest of you, you might say, but what if you're not, what if you're not married or you're married and your kids are gone now and or you're single, and what does this message have to do with me? How many know that we are a church family? And I praise God for spiritual grandpas and spiritual grandmas and spiritual aunties and spiritual uncles and some spiritual cousins. You know what I'm talking about, you know? It was good. Yesterday I stopped by the Hansons, and there was a whole tribe of NBC girls and friends um, there celebrating Lydia's birthday. And I was like, those are some spiritual cousins spending some time, some spiritual sisters spending some time together yesterday. And so praise God for that. I am just so excited about your influence in my children's lives. So this message is for us as a church family this morning. Amen? So let's stand together, and I'm going to read Ephesians 6, the first four verses. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. Let me read that again. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the children and youth that are present this morning. I pray, Lord, that they would receive from this message. Lord, that it would find refuge in their hearts and their souls this morning, and their spirits would be open to you. And Lord, I pray the same for parents. Lord, what an awesome responsibility that we have as parents to raise the next generation, the present generation, Lord, of godly children and youth and young adults. Father, I just pray your blessing upon both the children and the parents today and us as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul is speaking here, and he's giving God's word for the family. And he starts out in verse 1 giving God's word for children. And the before I unpack this passage, I think it's important to pause and take note that the word children here in the Greek is technon, 
And it is the word that refers to the offspring of a child. But it's more important than that because it doesn't just refer to young children. It also refers to children like the 30-year-old played by actor Matthew McConaughey in the movie Failure to Launch, you know, that 30-year-old child that was still living with his parents. So this is also speaking to those who maybe have not left the home yet. They're getting into their 20s and 30s-somethings. You know that statistics say that two-thirds of young adults are still living with parents? And there's a variety of different reasons for that. Uh, maybe it's because of education, saving money. But if you're still home, whether you're living on the main level or in your parents' basement, and you're still enjoying your mom's cooking, then you need to listen to what Paul has to say, even if you are beyond 18 or 19 years of age. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 is just as much for 20s and 30-somethings living at home as it is for those who are in their adolescence. And I realize that there comes a time in a child's life where you have to allow them to make their own decisions. And children, as they get older, should make their own decisions. But dads and moms, it's your responsibility to your children at that age to encourage them to make their own decisions, right? So Paul talks about actions here in, in verse 1. He says, children are to obey their parents. And this word means to, to submit to, to comply with, to follow directions and instructions. It can also mean to listen under, to listen under. Now, when we talked about wives and husbands and wives submitting to husbands, that word in, in the original language was like a, a submission under but as co-equals. It was more about positional authority. But as we talk about um, children obeying their parents, that word there in the original language is not as co-equals. It's literally listening under, listening to your parents' instructions who are over you. Your parents are responsible for your health well-being, and spiritual life. So as children learn to obey their parents, they are laying the foundation for obedience throughout their whole lives. They are learning respect for authority, and they are learning to obey the other voices of authority like teachers, bosses, church leaders that will become a part of their lives later on. This is so important to us. Even uh, my wife as a business owner, as a boss, when she's, um, when she's interviewing potential employees, she'll sneak in a sentence or question and will ask, how's your relationship with your parents? You know, just kind of in a roundabout way. They don't even know that it's a part of the, the interview process. But she'll say, so where, where'd you grow up? You know, where, where'd your, where did you grow up? Where's your family live? How, you know? Are you looking forward to spending, if it's getting near Christmas or Thanksgiving, are you looking forward to spending time with your parents? And if they're like, nope, you know, I care less about my parents. And they go on and just, or they're tearing their parents down or different things like that, then you can just tell that this is a person who probably has not been living in obedience or living under their parents' authority. And so they probably are not going to listen to my authority either, right? So young people, listen, you will always walk under someone else's authority. And ultimately, you are learning to walk in obedience to Jesus when you're walking 
in obedience to your parents. Then Paul goes on here and says, and talks about attitudes. He said, children are also to honor their parents. And the word honor means to respect, to value, to hold in high regard. This speaks about a child's attitude towards what their parents are instructing them to do. They are they may be outwardly, you know, obeying, but as they're walking away to take out the trash, they're, they're talking back to their parents under their breath. You know, they're kind of mumbling and groaning, and you're like, what are you talking? What are you saying? I, I've got ears. I can hear. I've, I've learned that my mother-in-law has really good ears. <laughs> I can see I'm not looking at Caden because he, he would always make... Just make his, his grandma and grandpa frustrated. Arr. So they may be outwardly obeying, but inwardly their attitude stinks. And that's wrong. That's a bad attitude. Sh- children should never talk back to their parents. Children should never swear or yell at their parents in anger. I thought I would hear some amens from some moms and dads. They should respect their children, I mean their, their parents, even when they're grown up and married. Again, when children learn to respect their parents in the home, they grow up with a natural respect for other people. Children who honor their parents have a very little trouble honoring Jesus or other authority figures in their lives. However, a child who disrespects their parents will usually have little respect for Jesus or for others in authority. I think it's important to note that there's a conditional word here in verse 1. It says, in the Lord. We're to obey our parents in the Lord. So while a child is to obey his parents, his parents that obedience is conditioned by the behavior and request of the parents. If you have a parent who's perhaps an alcoholic or someone of bad character, bad behavior, and they're asking you to do something that is wrong, that is illegal or immoral, then you have the opportunity to say, no, I'm not doing that. And that goes for um, all areas of the family. No parent, no spouse, no authority figure in your lives has a right to command you to do something illegal, immoral, or anything else that goes against God's word and what's right. And then Paul goes on in the second half of verse 2 and 3 to give a clarifying word. He says that obeying a person's parents brings about God's promise of blessing. When a child honors their parents, they are honoring God. And Jesus always blesses those who honor and obey him. Jesus promised, promised to obedient children is that they will enjoy a better quality of life that they will live, that it may go well with you, and a better quantity of life, that they would live long in the land. So this is a, the first command with a promise, that you may live long in the land and that it may go well with you. That sh- the Lord will bless children who honor their parents. Why don't you go back to verse 1 and notice a challenging word here. It says, in the Lord, children obey... Th- your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Children, when you obey, young people, when you obey your parents, you are doing right in the eyes of God. You are doing right in the eyes of God. You are to do this not in an effort to please your parents, but instead to please Jesus. And I think that's so important um, for young people to understand that when you are honoring and respecting and choosing to live out your life in obedience to your mom and dad, you are doing it as unto the Lord. And then Paul turns away from the children to share God's word to parents. And the word fathers in verse 4 can also mean both the mom and dad or both parents in this context. So I want us to, to see Paul's word to parents here. Paul's words were very necessary for the society in which he lived. Do you know that in Paul's era, era, in the ancient Rome and Greek era that Paul was living in and he was addressing, there was more dysfunction there than there is today. It was not uncommon in that time for a husband or um, men and women to have 20 different marriages in a lifetime. Mutual love among the members of a family was all, almost non-existent. In fact, most fathers ruled the home with an iron fist. History tells us that in, the, in that day, the father held the power of life and death literally over his family. A father could kick his children out of the home at any time or at any age. He could sell them as slaves to work in the fields. He could even have his children put to death without penalty or repercussion. When a child was born, they were laid at their father's feet, and the father would inspect them and look them over, and if they didn't meet his qualifications, he could walk away from them and abandon them. If he picked up the child, it was accepted into the family and taken care of. If the father walked away, it would be left in the, what was called the dung heap. It was a garbage dump just outside of the city gates. Then others would come along and they would see these abandoned babies and if they were healthy, they would, they would take them and raise them until they were um, old enough to be trafficked into slave labor or prostitution as they got older. The other unhealthy or undesired children were left to die in that heap of garbage just outside the city gates. The Roman statesman Seneca, who lived in Rome while Paul was in prison there, wrote, we slaughter a fierce ox we strangle a mad dog we plunge a knife into a sick cow but children who are born weak or deformed we drown so this was the backdrop to which paul was writing this letter to parents and children and he is telling his readers here and us today that there is a new and better way to be a parent and i would say don't you think so <laughs> But it is sad that still in America, there, in a lot of ways, we are not much different than ancient Rome. Time magazine reported in one survey that out of more than 10,000 responses, that 70% of parents, if they had it to do all over again, would not have children. They said that children were too much of a nuisance. Statistics also show that 46 children in America are taken and sold into slavery every day. Each year, more than 400,000 children experience foster care in the United States. 
between four and seven children per day in America die because of child abuse and neglect. The Bible is clear, however, that children are a gift from God. And we see how Jesus honored and loved children. He said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loved children. Psalms 127, 3-5 says, Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. We see that cautioning word there in verse 4. It says, we are told, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, there's going to be times, and there's times in my own life where I've messed up and I blew it, and I responded in a way that I shouldn't have to my kids. But this talks about a continual pattern of physical, mental, and emotional abuse that builds up resentment and anger within children. Parents are to avoid causing their children to be filled with anger. When children are provoked to anger, they may even act this anger out in visible hatred towards their parents and to others within society. And how many know that we have seen that happen? We've seen this in, in the streets of our cities. Children acting out this anger that's been bottled up towards other authority figures. So how does a parent provoke a children to anger. There are so many ways, but let me just name a few, and you might want to write these down. The first is being overprotective. Often parents will refuse to allow their children to grow up and make decisions that are equal to their age or maturity. Children and young adults resent being treated like they are more immature than they actually are. I'm all for boundaries. I'm all for, for good rules. But there comes a point that you can become overprotective, and that can provoke your children to anger. Another one is using love as a reward or a punishment. That is, we love our children when they are good, and we withdraw our love from them when they are bad. I've seen so many kids treat, I mean, so many parents treat their kids like my uncle treated his dog when I was growing up. He would say, hey, Lance, watch this. And he'd say, come here, Susie. And Susie would come over and get up on his lap. And then he would say, now watch this. And he'd say, you're a naughty dog. Go sit in the corner. And it was more of, you're a naughty dog. Go sit in the corner than it was ever, Susie, come sit on my lap. And that dog, it was just, it didn't know whether it was loved or hated. So don't use love as a reward or a punishment. Don't treat your children like my uncle treated his dog. We make them feel in love when they do wrong. Children should know that they're loved unconditionally all the time. By the way, it wouldn't hurt to tell your children that you love them and that you love them often. I remember growing up in the church. I was a teenager sitting in the church on a Sunday night service, and, and one of the grown men in our church stood up and and there was a group of people praying around him and he was just weeping 
and weeping and weeping. And then I saw his mom come over, and they, they embraced. And the big thing is, the big thing that was going on in that man's heart, his life that night, was healing between him and his mom. And I remember him just speaking out and saying, Mom, I needed you to tell me how much you loved me while I was growing up. And the mom had this attitude or thought that, well, son, you should know that I love you even if I don't. No, parents, we need to tell our children that we love them. We need to tell them often. Another way that you can provoke your children to anger is parental ambition. And we see this happen all the time, especially with our kids being involved in sports. This occurs when we channel our own goals and desires through our children. You know, you see this as moms vicariously cheerlead through their young daughters. You know what I'm talking about? Or dads vicariously, um, you know, play sports through their children, through their sons. At a deeper level, this occurs when parents require a level of accomplishment from their children that they never attained themselves. They look to their kids like, this is my second chance to be what I could not be myself. And then I would say to you, let your children be who God designed them to be. Remember that you should never try to relive your own childhood through your kids. Another way that you can provoke, provoke your children to anger is constant discouragement. You know, constant criticism and put downs. You're no good. You're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. Moms, dads, if you continue to do that, it may become true. Well, my, my dad always told me I was a failure. I would never amount to anything, so I guess that's my lot in life. I'm just going to be a failure. If all you do as a parent is tear your son or daughter down, they, j they just may live up to your expectations. Another way that you can provoke your children to anger is trying to mature them too quickly. Putting false limits upon them. You know, get the sticker, bumper sticker off your car if you have one that says, you know, my kid's an honor student. <laughs> you know, that was like big in my day. Um, I don't see him as much today, but I do see parents just putting these unrealistic expectations upon their, their kids because they get together with other parents and it's like they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to impress other, other parents. And your kids are going to be who they are. Don't try to, to compare them with other children by putting unrealistic expectations upon them. Don't try to make them act like they're 19 when they're only 9. Because what will happen then? When they turn 19, they might act like they're nine. Don't use physical and verbal abuse. Often we will overact, react to things our children do, and we carry the punishment too far. I believe in spanking. I believe in, you know, setting boundaries and, and, and things like that and taking things away. But don't take your punishment too far. Don't, you know, we don't use a sledgehammer to kill a mosquito. Don't take it too far. Don't take your discipline too far. Paul goes on to give a counseling word. He says, now that we have talked about what we shouldn't do as parents, now let's talk about what we should do. 
verse, the second half of verse 4, he says we are to bring our children up. We are to nourish them. You remember that from last Sunday when we talked about husbands, nourish and cherish your wives? We are to do the same for our children. We are to nourish them. We are to take care of them like we would a newborn infant. We are to help them reach their fullest potential. If we are to do this, then we are going to have to invest the one things that most parents say they have the most little of, and that's time. That's time. I was looking up statistics this past week of how much time parents spend with their kids, and I was appalled by the findings. It said that the average dad only spends seven minutes a day with their children. And I'm like, moms must do way better at that. And I was even more taken back with their kids. You know what's sad? The person who takes care of our kids the most is the daycare worker or the nanny. See, many parents try to substitute things for time. They buy clothes, they buy toys and video games, electronics, cell phones for their kids. But if you think about your own childhood, what do you remember the most? It was the moments that your parents spent with you. Not things, but moments. Moments spent talking with your parents. Moments spent hanging out with your grandparents. Moments spent with your siblings, your cousins, and your closest friends. See, things do not replace moments spent together. And if I could live my life all over again, there would be two things that I would do more of. I would take more road trips. You know, flying's fun when you can get there in two and a half hours versus 20 hours. But man, the moments in the car, you know, when you get past the, mom, he's in my space, and, you know, takes a nap and gets adjusted, there's just great conversation that happens. You listen to your, to your son and your daughter or your other son and daughter um, getting along, talking about their lives, sharing, playing together. I would do more time, spend more time doing, would be out in the, in the um, lawn throwing the football. It's funny that we'll do these things more when we're on vacation than we do during the week when we're home. But we need it to happen in both places. I would also do more daddy and daughter dates with my daughter. She's not the physical touch person. She's like hard as a rock when you try to hug her. It's just not her thing. She, um, she's a lot like me in that, in that regard. But spending time together, talking, listening, giving advice, listening, and not giving advice is important to her, and I would spend more time doing that. It's moments, not things that matter. The next way that we can um, enrich our children is to educate them. The word discipline in verse 4 has this idea of the whole education of the child. It refers to the daily discipline of verbal instruction and the ways of life and the ways of Jesus. We are to see that our children learn all that they can about life and how life has and how to get there. And also teaching our kids about the ways of Jesus, how to live and have good character and how to have compassion and show mercy to others. We are to see to it that our children learn all that they can while they're under our care. We're also to encourage our children Paul used 
guiding our children toward maturity as we nourish them in the Lord. Lastly, we're to bring our children to Jesus. I save this for last, not because it's the least important, because it's the most important, and I want to focus here for just a moment. How do you do this? If you're going to bring someone to Jesus, then that means that you have had to come to Jesus already yourself. You can't bring something, somebody to something that you have not been to. So you need to have a strong relationship with Jesus already, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. Your children will imitate what they hear you say and do. So you need to spend time in this word, in the Bible, with your family. Your children need to see you pray with them, pray over them. They need to see you praying alone, praying with your spouse. That prayer matters, that when the family's down, when you're down, when things are hard, or, or even when things are good, that you're going to God and giving thanks or asking Him for something in prayer. Your children need to, to see that, that what Jesus thinks matters. Your children need to have you explain to them how you make decisions so they, they can see that your relationship with, with Christ affects what you do and how you live. Your children need to see you confess when you mess up. That's hard to do, but I've had to go to my grown sons, my oldest, and say, you know, I used emotional manipulation there, and that was wrong. I tried to manipulate you with my emotions, and, and that was wrong, and I confessed that, and I asked for your forgiveness. You know what that speaks to him when I do that? Confess when you mess up. Ask for forgiveness. Let your kids see you tithe. Let them see how you're generous with what God has entrusted to you and that you're responsible stewards of the things that you have. And when they get older, they will do the same. And God will bless them, too, just as he's blessed you. This one's a big one. Bring your kids to church. Church isn't a place that we go to to get pumped up about life. It's not a concert. It's not an entertainment venue. It's literally an eternal life and death matter. Just as a loving parent wouldn't allow their child to skip school or skip their homework or, you know, just take a break, from all those things, a loving Christian parent also does not give the option to their child whether or not they want to go to church or not. Do your children always get excited when they hear you say, time to you know, time to get up and go to church. It's like, all right. Wasn't always excited, but we still went. We still made them go. Why? Because we're the parents, and we know what's best for our kids. You know, even when our kids complain, how come I can't just eat all the bags of chips that are for my lunch this week, or all the candy bars that are for my lunch this week? Why do I have to eat healthy food? You don't say, oh, just, you know, consume what you want. Why? Because that's not healthy. That's not good. So why would we allow our kids to make a choice of whether they're not going to engage with the church or not. When you lovingly require your children to go to church when they don't want to, they learn something. 
church is important and they will continue to go when they're adults. You know that statistics say that 88% of children from evangelical church homes, by the time they reach their college years, stop going to church never to return? I think that has a lot to do with us parents and our attitude towards the church. Let's show them through our lives that church is important. God's word is important. That's important to keep our word. That's important to pray. That's important to, to when we mess up, to confess those things. Let's stand together this morning. We've covered a lot here in this first four verses. I want to speak to the children and parents in closing. First to the children, God loves you and has an awesome plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. You may not know what that is fully right now, but God's got an important plan for your life. And he'll make that plan known to you in his time. In the meantime, let me encourage you, young people, the other authority figures that God places in your life, your future employers, your bosses, um, Christian leaders, teachers, because they love you and they want what's best for you. And if you haven't been as obedient and respectful as you should have been, especially lately, and you acknowledge that this morning, I ask you to also confess, to say, I haven't been the respected child that I should have been to my parents. And Lord, I confess that to you and I ask for your forgiveness. Then I encourage you this morning, if that resonates with you, to go to your, your mom and dad and say, Mom, Dad, will you forgive me for not respecting you, not honoring you, not obeying you like I should? Second, if you're a parent, and maybe you haven't been doing so good lately either with your parenting responsibilities, Again, as we pray in just a moment, I encourage you to confess that to the Lord and say, I have not been the parent, or I've not taken my full responsibility, or I need to go to my child and, and, and own up for my mistakes and ask them for their forgiveness. Or we haven't been in the Word together like we should. I haven't prayed with them or told them I love them or whatever it is that you may be feeling right now the Holy Spirit putting a finger on in your life. Confess that to the Lord, ask him for forgiveness, and then go to your children and make that right. And then third and last, I trained up my child in the way that he, would, he, he or she should go, but they're not living for Jesus right now. That's a hard thing. That's a painful thing. I grew up with, with a sister and, and, um, who wasn't serving Jesus for a long time, and I remember how that tore my parents up. They raised us both in the same home. And to see one um, go into ministry and, and live for God and another one go away from God. But God is bringing her back. Amen. And um, she's doing a lot better, you know, learning and growing in her faith in the Lord. But that time, that tension in between, just praying her back. I remember being in the altar with my dad many times praying for her in the hardest times um, when she was the most furthest away from the Lord. So let's 
call out to, to God for the, our, those kids or grandkids right now that aren't serving God right now faithfully. They, they know the truth that God would call them back. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you right now for your word that's relevant, that's applicable, that speaks to right where we are right now. Father, this, these four verses are just packed with great, great instruction. To parents, to children, to the church family. And Lord, we need all three. First, Lord, we say we, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of children. Whether they're our, our own biological children or they're our spiritual children. We thank you for the blessing that they are. We thank you for their zeal. We thank you for their love. We thank you for their creativity. We thank you for all the ways that you created them and wired them to be and to live in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for the children this morning who would say, Pastor Lance, as you were preaching, God was just speaking to me about this or that or this area of my life. And I'm failing here. Doing good here, but I'm not doing so good there. Lord, as they bring those things to you right now, I pray, Lord, that as they confess those things right now, Lord, that you would just forgive them in Jesus' name. And, and Lord, that you would give them the ability by your spirit to help them to live with more respect and honor towards their parents and other authority figures in their life. Do it, Lord. And Father, I pray for parents this morning who would say, Pastor Lance, I have not been living up to my responsibility. As you called out these different things, I, I'm doing good there, but I'm not doing good there. And, and I just confess to the Lord too that I need his help this morning. Just be humble enough, Lord, to open our hearts and say, Lord, forgive me for not being the mom and dad that I could be with your help. And Father, I pray that you would forgive them in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we lift up children and grandchildren that are far from you right now. Maybe they grew up in the church and they're part of that 88% who once they reached college, they've left the church. Father, we just pray that we... Church. Lord, not just for knowledge, Lord, but I pray that as they come back that they would experience you afresh and in a way that will change their life and make them hungry and thirsty for you that nothing else will ever satisfy. Lord, I pray that you would show them how, how empty and false the things 
that they have placed their hope in, that they have placed their value in, their identity in, Father, how those things will let them down, but Jesus, that you will never let them down, that your grace is sufficient for them, Lord, that your grace is calling out to them, Lord, that you're like that prodigal father who when his, saw his son coming home began to rant, run to his son, and they, they would find their inheritance, Lord, within your kingdom. I pray for moms and dads who are in these situations, for grandpas and grandpas that are in these situations right now with prodigal sons and daughters, prodigal grandsons and prodigal granddaughters. Lord, that they would not waver in their faith, that they would not allow the enemy to beat them up, Lord, or to accuse them, Lord. I pray that they would stand up, and even if they've made mistakes in the past, I pray, Lord, that they would confess them, repent to them, Lord, and then go forward, Lord, doing and believing, Lord, that you are going to do a work that's greater than them. We can't control. We can't control, Lord. You've given everyone a will. A will to choose which way they're going to walk. We just pray, Lord, that you would surround our kids, our grandkids, Lord, with godly influences. Even if it's not us, Lord, I pray that you bring people into their past that would lead them back, situations that will lead them back. Protect them, Lord. Watch over them, draw them back into the church family, the family of God in Jesus' name.